That was the sound of the medics money bleep going off, which means we have another listener's question sent in. And today we actually have the listener's voice. So here's the question. Hi, Dr. Tom and Dr. Ed. It's Fimul here, a consultant working in the emergency department. Enjoying your podcasts. I'm wondering if you could look into the following conundrum for me. I'm on both the 1995 and 2015 pension schemes and therefore monitor my pension growth to ensure that it doesn't exceed the annual allowance or that the latter isn't tapered, recently having to take advantage of the amount not used in the previous three years. With the recent 1-3% to annual pay rises, however, most of my £40,000 allowance for present and past years is being consumed. So how do I avoid a massive tax bill when the five-yearly increment is applied to my salary in a few years' time as part of the consultant pay scale? Great question, Vimal. And after the intro, we're going to get right into it. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins, and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So great question from Vimal there. And to answer it, I'm delighted to welcome one of the specialist medical independent financial advisors from the Medics Money Network, Mr. Tom Skinner from Barnaby Cecil. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah, all good this end. How are you? Good. I was just tweaking my mic levels a tiny bit, but that's details which nobody needs to know. So you're a regular on the podcast, so people will know you. And your last episode we did actually was how to retire early. And we did a Christmas top 10 and it wasn't in the top 10 then because it was so fresh, but I can exclusively reveal that it is currently sat at number six. So I guess that's um, good in some ways because people like that content, but bad because everyone wants to retire. But for anyone who hasn't uh, listened to those previous episodes, uh, do you want to give yourself the intro? Tell us a bit about why you're qualified to talk about this subject today. Sure. I have been advising doctors since 2003. And in 2018, I set up a company with my colleague, Emma Walker. And so I've been advising doctors for a long time, but we focus primarily on three groups of individuals, those working in the digital sector, those working in sort of content creation, creative type digital roles, and then doctors, which is a completely different set of group of people with a completely different set of financial problems to work through um, and solutions to find. So really interesting and varied level of work. And so there's me, the, the, the sort of the communicator with, with clients, but the the brains behind what we do is Emma Walker and Emma, we worked together at a previous firm. Emma in 2015 began building an NHS pension spreadsheet, which is on sort of version 55 now. So it's, it's her expertise as well in manually calculating a doctor's pension, which then means that I can then work through all different kinds of scenarios with them. So if they drop PAs, if they have an increment coming up, if they are uh, a GP with uh, a higher level of practice earnings in one particular year. So manually calculating NHS data is, uh, is, uh, is, our, is our thing. Awesome. So shall we get into Vimal's question? The first thing I want to say is Vimal is an A&E doctor. 
working in the NHS right now is super hard, but I think that those on the front line, the very front line, like A&E, have been particularly badly affected. So I just wanted to say thanks, Vimal, for everything that you do. And hopefully this podcast helps you. So if Vimal came to see you, what would you what would you be starting off saying to Vimal? I think the first thing I'd do to him was would be to apologize on behalf of the the Treasury and HMRC for creating such a complicated minefield, which is any public sector worker, but a but a, a public sector worker with higher earnings having to come home from work tired, you know, valiantly wading through. COVID patient after COVID amongst everybody else that I'm sure walks into an A&E department at all other times and then having to deal with this nonsense. So although professionally, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time helping individuals, I take no joy uh, in this. And yeah, I'm just sorry that that, they, that people have to spend their time dealing with this nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculously complicated now. And there's been a few bodges. So the 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme won off and they tweaked the taper. Well, maybe let's talk about that. So so should we start with the basics? So what is actually Vimal talking about? Because he said that he's getting worried about the annual allowance and the taper. And then he also mentioned carrying things forward from another year, which is called carry forward. So should we start with the basics before we get into the hideous details? Let's do that. Yeah. So. In, in, any, in any given tax year, which runs April 5th to April 6th to April 5th in, in any year, members of a defined benefit scheme and, and everybody else have a £40,000 allowance. But if you're in my, my type of pension, which is a, a SIP, you simply just um, calculate how much money has gone into the SIP in any given year. So really simple. So if I pay 30000 into my SIP, then I've got £10,000 left. With a final salary scheme or defined benefit scheme, the way that they calculate what you've paid into it, which confuses everybody, is not the amount that you've paid that's been deducted from your payslip or your employer's uh, contribution. That, for, for the first part, is ignored, but then is, is then added in a, at a later point. But the way that they calculate the, the growth or the deemed growth is to take the pension that you've accrued at the start of the tax year, so that might be £30,000. And then because you were a member of the pension scheme and you paid into the scheme each month and it was deducted from your pay slips, you've then accrued one year's membership. And that pension that might have been worth £30,000 if you'd retired at the start of the year is then worth £33,000 at the, at the end of the year. And there's a calculation with an opening input and a closing input that multiplies, each number is multiplied by 16, and then the two are deducted from each other. And that calculation then gives you your pension input amount for that year. Now, because the final salary pension is linked to the individual's pensionable pay in any given year, if you have a sudden rise in your pension pay, which on which is which is great, it was great for two reasons. One, you get more net take-home pay, and it increases your pension. But it means that your pension at the end of the year, when you've honoured that that contract and you've paid into the scheme throughout the year, you've then banked that pensionable pay on a higher pension pay, and that jumps your pension. So that calculation at the end of the tax year is is much higher because your pensional pay has gone up. So it gives you a bigger pension input amount. So that's how it works for anybody in a in a, a defined benefits scheme. And then the second bit that you alluded to was this threshold income, which is now lifted to two hundred thousand pounds. So my advice with that and and sort of 
as much help as I could give within a podcast would be to say that if you have taxable income of less than £200,000, then you'll retain your 40000 allowance. So all the stuff I've just said is, is all relevant and, and, and is all you, all you really need to think about. If your taxable income is more than £200,000, then I would suggest you find a specialist medical financial planner and a medical account, uh, accountant and have two or three sessions with them and talk through your options uh, and work together, the three of you, to come up with uh, a plan. And it's, it will probably involve setting up a company. It may involve set, it may involve a spouse or children becoming part of that company. And you'll, 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 you'll be a range of options in which um, to retain your, retain your annual allowance. Because after 200,000, a whole other set of calculations uh, kick in and you start to lose your annual allowance. And that used to be the 110 and it would catch almost everybody. 110,000, uh, but now it's been lifted. So it only, it only, uh, thankfully only catches the, the, the top end of earners. All right. That was an amazing explanation of the problem. I'm just going to summarize it to make sure that I and the listeners who are not financial professionals like yourself have understood it. So you got the annual allowance and that is 40,000 for each tax year, unless you're tapered, which is what you just talked about. And if you're in a defined contribution pension scheme, like you presumably are, or you said you were, you're in a SIP, then it's easy to work out how much annual allowance you've used because it's simply how much you've contributed. But if you're in a defined benefit scheme, like the NHS pension, it is not how much you've contributed and it is your growth, which, as you said, was related to your pay. And then the, did you mention inflation, the uplifting factors that it's, that calculates growth? Yes. So the opening input at the start of the year, which you've calculated that figure times 60, then gets lifted by inflation. So for, for, for most things in life, inflation is bad, but for annual allowance planning, inflation is good because it lifts the first figure up and then reduces the, the the gap between the second figure and it's the it's the you you uh, subtract the larger second figure from the first figure and so the closer that first figure is to that second figure the, the lower your pension input amount will be and therefore ideally if that's lower than forty thousand then you don't have an excess an excess pension input amount yeah okay and then you mentioned the two hundred thousand pound threshold which was increased from 110. So if Fimo is under the £200,000 threshold, he's got no worries, or is it more complicated than that? If he's under the 200000 threshold and significantly under, then he, st he still has issues around things like that he talked about, which is I've used upon my carry forward allowance. So you can go back the year that you're, so you take, take the year you're in, you can go back three, and any years where you didn't use your your annual allowance, you can carry forward that and offset that any any charges. So that's the main area of his of his focus. But yes, if you've got if you've got income more than two hundred thousand pounds, then taxable income, then it uh, the, there's uh, a second part to the calculation, which then looks at the the amount that you've paid into the scheme that gets added is deemed as a as income as well. But I think that that's the point where it's absolutely worth sitting down with, as I said. A financial planner and medical accountant, both that specialise in area, and then the three of you coming through with with a series of options. Okay, cool. So Vimal's been working super hard. He's got pay rise as well, so he's starting to get worried about this. So tell me about this carry forward because you just mentioned it briefly there, but it's again quite complicated and can be incredibly useful as well. 
Yes. So everybody joins the 2015 scheme in March 2022, regardless of their age, everybody enters that. But you may have entered the scheme previously, and therefore you will have had accrued benefits in two schemes, Section 1995 and 2015. If you only have benefits in Section 2015, so lots of junior doctors just starting, then because that's a career average, almost whatever happens in your pay, you sort of bounce around at it between sort of 32,000 and 38,000 as your pension input amount, because the increases are effectively smoothed out throughout your, your career. And therefore, in most years, you stay within your 40,000 and don't have any, any issues. The problem occurs when you have a pay rise, which is great, higher net pay, it then uses up, let's say it uses up 35,000 of your pension input amount of your 40,000 allowance. The, the 1995 scheme doesn't just increase by inflation if you're not accruing in that scheme. It also uh, has a thing called final salary linking. So if you have a higher pension pay, you get growth in that scheme as well because your pension, which could be, let's say that was 15,000 pounds, increases to 18,000 pounds in the year that you're paid. So you've got the growth in your 2015 scheme and then the growth in the 1995 scheme and add those two together like because you've had a consultant pay threat increase and you're going through the the statutory banding the two together and then you've got an excess and he talks about having a, a potential excess in the every 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 year that that pension pay comes through and what is what he's also said is that he's used up all of his carry forward allowance so he's exhausted all his historical spare capacity to have have an increase. He's always running at around about say thirty five thousand as a pension input about in the two thousand fifteen scheme. So any extra any extra pensionable pay increase picks up growth in the nineteen ninety five scheme also, which is which is has caused him the potential for a tax charge in those years. Wow. Okay. So so many subtleties here that I just want to draw out. So Carry forward, really important. There's a HMRC calculator that you can use, which is definitely worth a look. Or of course, someone like Tom can do it for you. And that's, and that's really important. So you could maybe, if you didn't get a bill last year and then you did get one this year, you could use some of that 40,000 annual allowance to carry over and therefore avoid the tax charge. Am I, have I got my understanding correct? Yeah, you can carry any, any year that you don't use up your 40,000 in previous years, you can, you can carry forward within no. a certain, certain time frame. Nice. And then the last bit that you just said is really important, but really subtle. So the 2015 is a career average revalued earnings, a care scheme. So not what you would call a final salary. Whereas the legacy schemes, that is 2008 and you mentioned 95, they are based still on an element of your final salary. And that's why, although you said, you said something super interesting, which is that his 2015 scheme will kind of bounce between 32 and 38 of growth a year, which is fine under 40, but the, the legacy scheme can generate big spikes in growth when you have a pay increment. Should we just get, I mean, we're getting into the details already. We've only been going like eight minutes, but should we get into details of why that is? Cause I think this is really important for people to realize. And then should we talk about annual allowance statements, who gets them, when they get sent automatically, and why no letter does not mean no problem? Yeah, so all, all of this um, came about in a set of reforms, the hurt reforms, in which the government proposed how, how they felt pensions should be made fairer for individuals on lower incomes, 
more sustainable so that if everybody lived to be 95 that the the scheme was sustainable this this type of pension is is very expensive to run and in the private sector they've almost um, they're almost non-existent now so they wanted to reform the, the, the scheme for a range of reasons and one of the things that they said that they would do is that your if you left the 1995 scheme and, and transitioned into the new 2015 scheme that it would just carry it would just it would just increase the inflation so if you built up say twenty thousand pounds a year of pension in the 1995 scheme that would stay in real terms linked to the consumer price index so it it would it would still be able to buy the same amount of stuff when you when you retired but that was challenged by a group of unions and they said that's not fair we want that scheme to retain final salary linking so when you're if your pension will pay which you can see if you take a march pay slip you can see your pension will pay figure for the entire year on the bottom lower left hand side of the old style uh, consultant pay slips if that figure goes from let's say 110,000 to 115,000 in one year then that's a 5,000 increase in your pensionable pay and then the calculation for your 1995 scheme is reset at 115,000 and you get a nice increase in your in your pension and so that goes up so that then creates another uh, set of pension input amount figures to calculate and add to your 2015 scheme which you've picked up because you've been a member of that scheme throughout the year yeah okay Oof, it is complicated okay so should we talk about the annual allowance statement which presumably vimal has got but i know that lots of people won't because uh it's a bit of a mystery it's a brown envelope which sometimes comes when it shouldn't sometimes doesn't come yeah so the the brown envelope around arrives around the october in 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 any given year and tells the individual what their annual allowance calculation was it assumes that um, you haven't tapered your annual allowance so it assumes that your taxable income is less than two hundred thousand pounds so it, it takes the figure if that it, it assumes that is the case and then it tells you what your annual allowance has been for the allowance and your annual allowance calculation the two schemes if you're a member of two or one if you're just a member of, of, of one of the schemes it tells you what the pension input amount is for the previous tax year and in there lies the problem. So in October 2021, people were told what their what their pension input amount in the schemes had been in the tax year 2020-21 in a period that's then closed. So you're told you're told you've got a problem in a period that's behind you and is closed and there's nothing you can do about it. So that's fine for an accountant or a financial advisor to just tell you what tax you owe. But what you really want to be doing is getting on the front foot. And I say to clients and we work with our, our clients in this manner is get your January tax return done so that's January out the way but February start to then think about what's happening in the next year so from April from April the 1st until March the 31st in the in the following in the next year that's your head so April 22 to March 2023 what's happening in your pay and is it increasing significantly from the figure that you were paid in the previous tax year and if it is then you've got some options ahead of you because you can you can start to look at how to deal with that charge before the charge occurs rather than after yeah 100 percent. so i think this is something which is sometimes forgotten but when you get one of these brown envelopes and you get an unexpected bill okay that is going to sting and you know it 
it feels especially galling to get one as a doctor because I think we have an unwritten psychological contract with the NHS that, you know, we're going to work hard, the job's stressful, but at the end of the day, we'll be treated fairly, remunerated fairly, and we'll have a nice pension at the end. And then suddenly someone comes along and says, well, I'm going to take 20 grand or more uh, tax for this pension. Some, some doctors, that's a big, big shock to them. But if you are proactive about this, and if you are a high earner, you've got to be proactive. There's absolutely no reason that you should, you know, get these tax bills. They're not inevitable. They can be dealt with and planned for. It's just very frustrating that the system's become so complex that you need someone like Tom with a specialist medical accountant, like all of the others on Medics Money to, to do this proactive planning. But is that a fair statement that if you're proactive, you know, you, as in people like you, advisors can help us, people like me, avoid these charges completely. Yeah, potentially avoid the charges completely or forewarned is forearmed. So you knew the charge was coming, you'd made an active decision to stay in the scheme and you had decided that for that particular year, it was better to, to allow the scheme to pay the charge and that was the choice that you'd made. Or in advance of that, you decided that you might, for example, leave the scheme midway through the year and, have, and, and split your membership over two years, straddle two years. And so therefore, then you've got a lower pension impact amount and you've spread the gain over two years. But you can only do that in advance of the tax charge than before. So there are other options and there, and there are things that you can, you can do. And as I said, you might decide that the tax charge is, is the right thing for you because you're approaching retirement uh, and therefore there isn't going to be a lot of compound added to the tax charge, compound interest added to the, to the tax charge if your scheme pays it. And it might be that you decide that that's the, that's the better option for you. Another reason might be because you're over the lifetime allowance and therefore it makes sense to, to have a deduction and an increase. As a, as, a, as a rule of thumb, to give people an idea and just give them a, to shape the concept of where, it, where it's less of a problem and more of a problem, I would say that if you're over the age of 55 and you scheme pay the tax charge, this is you. So this is where you have a tax charge. And you say, I'd like my pension to pay it. You complete the paperwork and NHS pension, send off a check to HMRC and pay it for you, that you'll retain 85% of the increase in the pension. So there's, so you've had a, you've had a fantastic increase in your pension because you've had a C award or a pay threshold increment, or you had a fantastic year as a, as a, as a practice. And if you scheme pay, after 55 up into retirement, you'll roughly retain about 85%. And then for every year before 55, that drops by 2%. So 50, you'll retain 75% of that increase. And if, and if you scheme pay at 40, we think it's around 55. Now, these are very loose ways of, of, of thinking about certainly, how the pro, certainly framing how the problem gets less worse as you get older, because we've used We've, in our model, we've used a flat uh, inflation each year uh, to model and they go up and down. But I think that that's, that gives people an idea. So, right, first of all, if I scheme pay, I'm not losing 100% of my, uh, of my increase. But you might decide if you're likely to live a long and uh, prosperous length of time in retirement, you might decide that you decide to pay the charge yourself, um, particularly if you're the younger you are. And so really going back to the point is, yeah, is... There are things you can do if you decide in the February before the tax year that you've got to charge. Look at those options. Look at which one suits you best. But there's not a fat lot you can do if you get that brown envelope in October. 
it's done. The, the tax year is closed and then you've only really got pay it yourself or pay it through the scheme as your two options to consider. Awesome. That rule of thumb that you just said was so interesting. So base, so scheme pays is basically, you, if you get an annual allowance tax charge, you can either pay it cash yourself or you can elect for the scheme to pays. And scheme pays, complex, not going into details, but in broad strokes, it's, a, it's effectively a loan from your future pension to pay the current tax charge. Is that right? Yeah, HMSC get their tax on day one, so they're happy. And then the scheme creates a, a debit on your account and there is two percentages that get added to that year on year. So the younger you are, that compounds uh, a bit. And if I said 6% was the, was the rate, that would be a, a fair percentage as I calculated. So 6% roughly gets added each year. So if you're only three years away, then that's not significant. But if you're 18 years away, then that can be. And then on the day you retire, there's another calculation to divide that debit against your pension. And then there's a, a permanent deduction for, for life. Um, but if you get, if your pension jumps up and so this is, this is the, the, the one thing that's, you know, by, by avoiding all of the pension input growth in your pension, you avoid all the growth in your pension as well. So it isn't necessarily the best thing to do. So, well, I've, I've, I've got an increment coming up or I've applied for this award. I'll just leave the scheme and then I won't have a tax charge. You, you can't then, you don't, you don't get the benefits of the pension growth. And so it could be that you then manage your, it could be that you manage the, the growth in the scheme over several years, or it could be that you wait until you get a bit closer to retirement and then, you know, rejoin the scheme to make one year fully pensionable and have a charge in that year and build some carry forward because, um, in, if a year, if you're not in the scheme for a year, then you can, um, build up that, that carry forward and carry it into the next year. So there's a, there's a range of strategies you can use, but it comes back to the point where it all, they all require forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because if scheme pays is effectively a loan, then if you take that loan out when you're young and loan it for 20 years, of course, it's more expensive than if you take it out three years before retirement. And then yeah. because of the compounding, as you said, so that's a really good, uh, broad broad and you're not financial advice but a rule is that if you're really young scheme pays is a bit is more expensive than if you're close Correct. to retirement for the obvious uh, reason well they seem obvious now that you've explained it all right just one one quick thing to add to there and something that very few people are aware of maybe you set up a pension when you were i don't know uh, a junior doctor and you've got sort of 50 60 70 000 in there and it's not really doing anything and you don't pay it much attention because you then uh, realize that because of the lifetime allowance it was brought in in, in or well, the annual allowance reduction was brought in in 2012 and lifetime allowance was brought in in 2006, I think. The, you've, you then diverted your attention to saving in, in another manner. You can actually use uh, your personal pension to pay an annual allowance charge, which um, people aren't always aware of. So if you've got a sort of a fiddly bit of pension that's not doing much and you've got this, this fantastic award that's been made pensionable, then another thing to investigate is whether you can use that personal pension to pay the charge for you. So that can be a quite a neat way. And if that, if that was only going to sit above your lifetime allowance and be taxed at 55% anyway, what a fantastic way to get some use out of that because then you'll retain all the growth in your NHS pension scheme. I'm so glad you mentioned it because like you said, the benefits of specialist advice is that they know specific little tricks like that. And that could be a lovely trick if you're in that situation. And to clarify, when you said you took out a pension as a junior doctor, you're talking about, of course, a private non-NHS pension. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. 
All right, we're getting really into the details here, but you did mention something there, which I'm pretty sure you would talk to Vimal about if he came to see you, and that is the lifetime allowance. What is that? The lifetime allowance. So in their wisdom, the government decided that pensions are a very attractive vehicle to save for your retirement because they, they all forms of pension receive tax relief when you pay money into them. But they decided because there were some individuals who were paying vast amounts of money into pension to avoid paying any tax in their working lifetime, that they would create a limit. And that limit started off at 1.8 million and then came all the way down to 1 million and 73,000 and a little, bit, a little bit of change thereafter. And the reason why it's now a funny number is because it's attached to inflation each year, or it was until the government then said, we're going to freeze it for five years. So all told, roughly a million is your, a million is your uh, lifetime allowance. After which, depending on how you take the income and what type of pension it is, but broadly speaking, it's about a 55% on either the lump sum uh, or the effective rate on the income when you then draw it above that. And there have been some periods, 2015 and 2012, where it's worth looking, particularly if you've got a large pension, a pension over a million pounds at those dates, because there are some historical forms of protection, which can mean that you get a, a larger individual lifetime. And that's what's known as individual protection, is that right? Individual and fixed protection. Yeah. Cool. So, um, for example, if your pension is above 1.25 million at 2012, and that includes your personal pensions all lumped in as well, then you can you can guarantee and safeguard a, a higher a higher lifetime allowance. Love it. Well, actually, I mean, I do love it, but it's ridiculously complicated, isn't it? So, going back to Vimal's situation, then give you know, give me some things that Vimal should think about doing right now. So, just to make everybody aware of that it, the the two thousand nineteen twenty year is a special year because it's the year that the government said that they would cover the charge. So, a few people have said to me, "I'm not going to apply for it because I don't trust the government." Well, that seems sort of nonsense. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, worry about that down the line. If they've said they'll pay it and, and there's no reason to believe that they won't, or certainly no legal reason to believe that they won't at this point of time, then why would you pay the cash yourself? Because then you've still got to, if you're right and the government don't honor it, you've still got to pay the cash at a later date. So you might as well fill in the forms and claim that year. So that year's covered. And sometimes you just have this wonderful situation where somebody comes to you really anxious. They know that they've got a problem. They've had the brown envelope and just the uh, stars align for them perfectly. And their big, massive charge just falls in that year. And then they're fine because they're then on the higher pension or pay and it's all dropped into that year. The deadline for that application is March the 31st, 2022. Yeah. So talk to your accountant, talk to your financial planner, if they're specialists, uh, medical specialists, and look to see if you're not missing out on that individual, because that would be horrible. And, and, and of course... Each iteration of any form of, of pension protection or anything like this, where there's a deadline, I always get a phone call the following day from somebody who says, oh, I heard the podcast or I heard this, but it's, it's just it's just too late. There'll be, there'll be a flurry in April, I'm sure. Um, but um, I did what I could. And there hasn't been that much. I mean, I haven't seen any sort of, NHS hasn't tweeted anything about it. You know, why? Well, you know, obviously not on the Medics Money mailing list because we have been tweeting about it. We've been emailing about it. We've published an article on GP Online magazine for GPs because they need to get their forms to Capita by the 11th of February for GPs because they have to deal with 
Capita PCSE, which is a delight as always. I might suggest that they get that uh, recorded delivery and keep that keep that receipt somewhere in a little file if they're dealing with our friends over at Capita and SBS and people like that, because uh, they might say they didn't receive it. <laughs> that is sound advice to just keep a record if you do anything. Keep a record of anything. Yeah, you, yeah. You, yeah. You, postage. you never know. They might just turn around in 10 years and go, well, you haven't contributed any pensions. Yeah. And you'll be like, well, you took them from the bank and cashed my check. And then there you go. It's what, all good fun. What, so, what pension? Yeah. So, yeah. We've been shouting about it, and and I, I think there's there's there are people that are going to miss out on it. And I've been seeing you tweeting about um you know a, a new thing that you're pushing at the moment about two times and five times. T- tell us a bit more about that because I think it's super interesting, super useful. So, obviously, we've worked really hard with lots of clients over the years, and we've we've um you know built them individual spreadsheets that ha- help them decide you know whether to, what decisions to make within the NHS pension planning. But I had a couple of meetings at, at Christmas, and the and this the the general sort of well being and outlook on life of these two individuals, these two NHS workers, was so profoundly different for a very simple reason that I've decided that we'll help as many people as we can with the annual allowance as possible. But if we if I'm really trying to think about what can I do to move the needle in sort of somebody's life from a financial planning sense, it would be to talk about this more. And that's to get people to look at their annual allowance and get on the front foot and think about each February what's happening next year and making some plans around that. And if you've got a nice big pay rise coming up, sitting down and getting some help and saying, what's my best route forward? And that's zooming in, but getting people to, to zoom out. And one of the key fundamental things is, is to get an understanding of what your pension amount is likely to be when you retire. So that's the first thing. So get that first number. And then, so let's say that figure was three, a wonderful 3,500 net at 67. And if you'd said, right, I'm just going to go through all my increments, I'm just going to scheme pay everything, um, and I've, I've got somebody to estimate that uh, my net income in retirement is 2,900. So I've lost 600 pounds. Um, and that's obviously not pleasant. And that would be, you know, that would be some quite hefty scheme pay charges, and they might have breached the lifetime allowance. And these are just examples, and, and, it, and, it, and it, 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 it'll be different for, for everybody. But if that individual had said, look, I've also done some analysis, and I actually want to retire at 60. And at 60, I'm going to enjoy a few days at the cricket each year. And I'm going to do some traveling. And I've always wanted to take up windsurfing. And they've got these things laid out they want to do at 60. I might return to the NHS and do two or three days a week. But actually, when you start to talk in those terms, where's the big problem in that person's finances? So they were going to have 3,500 and it's been reduced to 2,900 at 67, but they don't want to work until they're 67. So the 2,900 is, is largely irrelevant. They want a combined income of 5,000 pounds at 60. So actually, what's the big problem in their life at the annual allowance or the fact that the NHS pension in isolation just didn't quite fit and suit them. And so moving forward, some of the most anxious people I meet are individuals who have who've got all of their investments held in in the NHS pension. So they're, they're very frustrated and angry about what was promised to them at, at the start of their career and where they are now and how the goalposts have moved. And I, and I accept that. But often that individual will have two times their pension in cash. So let's say, let's say their gross pension was £50,000 a year. They'll have £2,000, they'll have £100,000 in cash. It's gone nowhere for 20 years because of, of, uh, of, of cash rates, of, of interest rates. It's gone nowhere but backwards because of inflation. And if that person, and and this and this is why it's quite nice to talk about two times and five times, that person invested that money and had and had and had 
a proper investment strategy, then that could have been five times their pension. So as a target for any, any NHS worker, and I was starting to work with people to then look at if that is, if your gross pension is, say, 30,000, um, that would mean someone have an, investment, an investable portfolio of 150,000. If you're lucky to have a pension of 50,000, then that's 250,000. That then means that whatever happens in terms of uh, legislation changes in the future or any issues with the scheme or uh, possible for, uh, you know, further sort of political machinations or whatever whatever that might might be in terms of the pension, you've still got this uh, investable asset and it still solves the person who says, well, I've got this money coming at 67. Uh, it's a lower amount because of the charges, but actually it does, still doesn't quite fit. You can then dovetail that income with uh, the investable asset, which will give you a far greater range of options and choices than the individual who said, I've put all my eggs in the NHS pension basket and I'm extremely cautious, therefore I've got my money in, in just in cash. And obviously cash plays an important role in someone's overall financial plan. But if you're investing cash for an entire lifetime, then when you start to look at those models, even on numbers like four, five, six percent as a net return, it actually becomes quite achievable for anybody i think with a plan and some discipline to achieve five times their pension um at retirement and then come back to that point you've got a whole range of options ahead of you yeah i just think what you just said there is such sage words you know because the nhs pension is still a great deal for the vast majority of us but having a backup plan is never a bad idea and i'm definitely you know i mean we talked about this a lot in our last podcast where we talked about how to retire early and we went through kind of my strategy, which is to maximize the benefit that I get from my NHS pension scheme, but also to invest, to grow my money. Because if I leave that money in cash with inflation being where it is and interest rates where they are, uh, it's actually going to go down in value. And we also talked about, <laughs> so my whole family invests, even my uh, five-year-old, he started when he was like six months old. Uh, he, he's been investing and he's, he's, you know, he's growing his money and he does not have a piggy bank and he holds about £2.50 in cash, which I gave him for washing the car. But he's got a junior stocks and shares ISO, which is just growing uh, and he's not going to touch it until he's 18. And then he gets it all when he's 18. So he's either going to have an amazing 18th birthday party or hopefully he's going to go, well, look how much that's grown by just the power of compounding and keeping a nice, low cost, well diversified, sensible investment strategy. Do you know what? going to carry on investing so uh, yeah, yeah and, that, and that's the thing that worries clients well will we'll, we'll the child just get sent a check and in reality there it's such an abstract concept to them it doesn't even really occur to them they could ring up abc investment platform and say could you send me some money they don't really see it as their money if it's always been discussed as this is this stock market investment for their future but it's just not perceived as cash they're interested in the cash in their piggy bank at that point because they can go and spend it on whatever the, the, the whatever the thing of the day that 18 year olds like to go and spend their money on um but um what what's what's going to happen in their future house house prices are going to increase at a rate faster than inflation um education is going to increase at a rate faster than inflation. Um, the, the the cost of you know setting up a business is going to increase by rates faster than inflation. So there's going to be things that they're going to need money for in the future. Uh, and building up money in cash um, is 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 in some state. And I've started talking about this on Twitter as well. Get, getting kids out of cash. Um, it's uh, no one can afford unless you're extremely wealthy. Nobody can afford to put their children in purely cash for eighteen years, and you're just wasting all that compounding interest. Um, and just Google sort of 
the performance of stock market over any 18-year period over the last 50, 60, 70 years and compare that to cash, compare it to property, compare it to gold, compare it to whatever asset you like, you'll see that a globally diversified portfolio trumps them 95% of the time of, of any asset over a period of, say, 10 years. And therefore, well, that's a pretty good percentage in terms of if you're going to pick where to put it, but on, on only maybe 5% of the time is cash beaten uh, over yep. a 10-year period. Yeah. Uh, having a little downturn at the moment in the markets, uh, which is, of course, totally expected. Downturns happen. And uh, I think from that, just if in doubt, zoom out. So just don't look at the day chart. Don't look at the week yeah. chart. Don't look at the year chart. Just zoom out to the 10-year chart of whatever index your investments are tracking and uh, rest easy and don't do anything crazy. Well, and it's only problematic if you're somebody in retirement with a fixed capital invested. So let's say you're 60 with a million pounds in the stock market and it's fallen 5% this week. That's, that's, that's understandably going to concern you. But if you're, the shares that you're buying are uh, were 10p and they're now 6p and you're buying them next month as our, as our children will be with our regular debits, then they're buying shares at a cheaper rate. So the stock markets are, uh, are, are fantastic. The falls are fantastic for anybody in the working population. And then, of course, there's, there are solutions for that if people are entering retirement and have had their chance to build their capital but get maximum capital growth exposure, then uh, they're more uh, concerned about the overriding capital value. And, of course, that's where there are other assets such as cash, bonds, property that you can use in their portfolio. But right now, if you've got more than 10 years, 15 years uh, into retirement, you should be getting as much exposure to, to capital growth as possible. And also that sort of illustrates another great point about the NHS pension. So yeah, if you've got a private pension, which largely depends on the value of stocks and shares, and there's a massive crash uh, in your, your first year of retirement, then that is a big problem for you. But guess what? The NHS bench pension is a defined benefit scheme. It is a guaranteed index-linked income for life. And so if you've got an NHS pension, doesn't matter what the stock market does. The government's just going to keep paying out your guaranteed index-linked inflation-proof pension for life, right? Exactly. And there's another way of looking at that is it, it affords you the ability to take more risk in other assets. So whereas you might say somebody has a balanced, you know, if, if all they've got is their pension, their pension, if 100% of their pension is invested in capital assets around the world, then they might have a medium, medium approach to risk because they've got no capacity to accept or pause or, or wait for the market to recover. Whereas if you've got uh, a guaranteed income coming each month, then you've got a range of options. Just don't carry on drawing on your um, on your investments for 18 months while the market recovers in a sort of once-in-a-decade market crash. You can sit back and, and, and use your NHS pension. Or alternatively, just deliberately spend all your money from the age of, say, 55 until 70. Um, run that through a cash flow model. I know that you've then got uh, you've then met your your essential expenditure for the rest of your life because you've got the guaranteed income. So if you blend the 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 benefits of um, capital appreciation that, that you get in global capital markets with a final salary pension, then you get you get some fantastic outcomes and really spread your risk. But again, if you've got all your money in 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 capital assets that go up and down, and you've got all your money in a in a in a, in a fixed static pension that you have less control over because it's uh, subject to regulatory and uh, political changes and so forth, then in either option, um, you're, you're exposed to a greater range of risk than if you have both. Yep. Diversification, only free lunch investing, maybe. Absolutely. Um, Tom, that was so useful. I could 
talk about this all day with you. Um, and I know that our episodes that we do are really popular. If people are liking what they're hearing or just want to, you know, get your thoughts on something, uh, where, where can we contact you? We have uh, an NHS pension podcast, which in which we've got about 10 episodes now. And I need to record some more because I get, I get lovely emails from people saying, um, I've found this particular one or that one really, really helpful. Um, so there's a back catalogue there to go and, and have a listen to. Um, and if you uh, Google Barnaby Cecil or Tom Skinner Barnaby Cecil, then up shall pop up my website and you can have a look at me there and um, check us out a bit more. Awesome. I'll put the links to your podcast and everything else in the show notes. I really recommend the podcast if you're into the pension because it's, it's so useful. And yeah, I look forward to some more episodes coming soon. Great. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. This Pleasure. Morning, Tom. Really Thank you for having me on. No, always good to chat and uh, look forward to catching you up on our next podcast episode, which hopefully won't be too long. Take Fantastic. care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.